Today's scripture text comes from Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 16. Acts 10, 9 through 16. Hear now the inspired words of God. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It was the crowded marketplace in Israel. All kinds of food shops and vendors, beautiful weather, umbrella tables, and a group from Bee Creek United Methodist Church that had been surviving on buffet fare at hotels for about a week. So when we were set free in this marketplace and they told us, our guide said, go wherever you want and get whatever food looks best to you, we were like, yay! So everybody disperses. There were gyros and falafel. There was even a burger place. That was pretty exciting. Um, There was some ice cream and some other desserts made with actual milk. That was also very exciting. Um, so we all dispersed, and we, we found our way back to these umbrella tables. They could seat about four people, and so you could see groups getting together. And I remember about the time as everybody's gathering up and we're finding a table to sit, screaming started. And it didn't sound like somebody was in trouble. That's always a good thing in Israel. You're, you're always on kind of high alert. It sounded like somebody was really angry, but it was in Hebrew. And so we're kind of looking around, but we don't speak Hebrew, so we don't know what's going on. And then it switched to English. It was coming from the ice cream shop, and we see this man running out of the ice cream shop, and he's screaming one word over and over. No, 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 no! We're like, okay, that's definitely something to do with us. And he ran at, at one little group of four that was about to sit down. Some of them had ice cream cones. Um, one guy, I think it was Richard Jensen, had a burger, and they were about to sit down at one of the ice cream shop stands, and he, he went up to, I believe, Richard, and was, no, 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 and started moving him away from the ice cream stand table with his burger. Well, right then, our guide saw what was going on. Everyone in the marketplace saw what was going on. Um, only our guide understood. And so he began to speak in Hebrew and calm Um, the ice cream shop owner down and the shop owner went away like shaking his head and angry back into the store and Richard's standing there with his burger just thinking (laughs) what is happening and the guide took him over to a table with some of the Euro people and he explained to us this, what had happened, is that if you are Jewish, there is a very clear boundary line between where you can have meat and where you can have dairy. They don't paint a line on the ground, but if you're Jewish, you just know meat cannot be in the dairy area and dairy cannot be in the meat area. And so it wasn't that just, hey, you didn't buy that here, so you have to get out. It was you, if you sit down with that hamburger at my ice cream shop, 
the entire area will be unclean. And we'll have to close the shop and we'll have to do purification rituals and maybe it can open up tomorrow, but I'm going to lose a whole day of business if you bring that burger and sit down with it. Whoa. So I started to look into, I, I knew Jewish purity laws, but I really didn't know that. And looking into it, um, here's just some things about if you're Jewish, how, how you would eat and how that eating would declare your faith. So you can only, most of us know you can only eat a certain number of animals, right? The, and if you're talking about land animals, it's animals with a cloven hoof that also chew the cud. So cows and sheep and goats are okay, pigs are not. Um, then there's certain fowl that are okay, certain fish that are okay, and certain that are not. So you have to know the boundaries of which animals you can consume without making yourself spiritually unclean and unable to come to, to temple, to synagogue, right, to worship. If you have eaten the wrong thing, you're unclean, you can't come. Then you have to think about your milk products. They have to come from a kosher cow fed kosher foods, Right? You can't just grab any milk you want because it's not kosher. Eggs are the same way. Did you know fruit is the same way? Fruit has to come from trees that are three years or older because God said the rest has to be offered to God, the first fruits of the harvest. So it has to be a three-year-older tree, so you can't just pick up a mango. You have to know, is this a third or a fifth year? If it's a first year or second year, no. Grain, the same way. You can't eat grain that is the first year of its planting. It doesn't matter how delicious it is. That's dedicated to God. So it has to be two years or older, grain fields. And if there are two grains planted in a field, that's unclean. It doesn't matter if they're both clean grains. If they are mixed in the same field, that is considered unclean. And so you have to say, okay, well, this was grown in a field where only this crop was planted. And then there was a good boundary, and then that. And you can't mix meat and milk. Because there's a, a verse in Leviticus that says, do not boil a calf in its mother's milk. That's, that's the verse. And so if you're Jewish, you, then you have decided over the centuries that that means that God will not let you put those two things together. And even if you drink a cup of milk in the morning, you're going to wait six hours to make sure it is through your stomach so that if you eat a burger, it does not mix in your stomach and make you unclean. Do you get it? We got a taste of that while we were in Israel, <laughs> especially poor Richard Jensen with his hamburger and the trauma. Um, and I'd want you to know that eating that way, if you're Jewish, is an act of your faith. It's a de declaration, both yourself and then as a community, because if as a community we're all careful about what we eat, uh, we don't just eat anything, we're concerned about where it came from and, and we're honoring God's law, then we are setting ourselves apart as a community. And we're saying as a whole group, we are different because we love God. And so we'll eat this way to keep ourselves clean when we come before the Lord. So that's the way the Jewish people think of it. And what we need to realize is that Jesus ate this way. He followed these kosher laws. The disciples, for the most part, remember there's that time when they pick grain on the Sabbath? Everybody freaks out because that's not allowed. So when we see these exceptions, we can see something different is coming, but it hasn't happened yet. 
And so even on Easter Sunday when the resurrection happens, now, now life has begun again and the Savior is alive and death is overcome and sin is no more, right? We can beat it. But nobody thinks, well, I need to throw out the kosher laws. That's in the Bible, right? That's part of the scriptures God gave to Moses. And so all of the early believers who are Jewish are keeping kosher laws because that's how you're faithful to God. They've done this for thousands of years, for generations, until Peter and this rooftop vision. So this is how it happens. There's a lunch meal, and Peter is starving. And somebody has gotten off of their time schedule, and it's late. Have you ever been hungry, and the food that should have been ready isn't ready? And we're our worst selves at that moment. Well, Peter, instead of sitting down in the kitchen and maybe delivering an impromptu homily about punctuality and time management and how that's godly, um, he goes up to the roof to pray. And his stomach is rumbling, and he's just, I'm going to just give this time to God. Well, as he does, God gives him a vision. Remember, he's hungry. And so what is lowered down from heaven is a sheet filled with food. Peter can tell. He may not be able to see, but he knows that there's food in that sheet. It's heavy. It's being held by the four corners. He's getting ready. God's bringing food. You know, miracles happen. And the sheet opens. <gasps> it's revolting. There's a pig. There's clams and oyster and shrimp and lobster. Oh, lobster. So he's recoiling from this when the voice of God says, kill and eat. And Peter, being Peter, says, heck no, I'm not going to do that. That's against your rules, God. I've never broken your rules. I've never broken your word. I will not do it now, no matter what you say. And God says, Peter, all food is clean food now. And the sheet is pulled up to heaven, and Peter is sitting there thinking, wait, it, Moses wrote this law. Generations have followed this law. I've followed this law. This is all I've ever done. This is God's word. Is God really telling me that it's okay? Can God change a rule that is in the Bible? And the sheet comes down again, and God tells him again, all food is clean food. And Peter's still, and the sheet goes up. And then a third time, God sends the sheet down to reiterate this message. All this food is clean food. It's taken up to heaven. And Peter is left to think, really? Like, am I hearing this right? Is it just because I'm hungry that I'd eat that revolting lobster? Like, what? Because this means this is huge. It if Peter is hearing God correctly, he's going to have to teach all of God's people a new way, and that's terrifying because they've never done that before. And it means that this whole new group of people, in fact, most of the world, can now be part of God's family, can come to God's table. One of those people is a man named Cornelius. He is a Gentile. That would be like us non-Jewish believer, but he's a God-fearing man. Um, so he didn't eat kosher, but he prayed, and he was generous, and he lived a righteous life. He tried to let all of his actions show his faith in God. 
And yet, because he wasn't eating kosher, he never could have gone to worship with God's people, even though he believed. He could never go into a home with other Jewish believers and hold their hands to pray. He couldn't even touch them. He would make them unclean. One day, this man is praying. And God says to him, I need you to go find a man named Peter in a town called Joppa. He's staying at a home. This is where you'll find it. I need you to go send some people right now. Cornelius says, okay. And so he gets two of his servants and a soldier who is working, a Roman soldier who is working for him, who is devout. Can you tell how his faith is rubbing off? And he sends them. He says, you need to go. God has told me you need to find this man named Peter. He's in this town called Joppa. He's staying at this certain home. Just can you go find him and, and say that God said he needs to visit? He's Jewish. <laughs> so the messengers go out, and guess when they arrive? They arrive right as the sheet is being pulled up to heaven for the third time. And the Bible says they stand at the gate to the home, and they're either knocking or they're calling out. And that's important, y'all, because they could have gone into the front door but they didn't. They're outsiders. They're unclean. And so they're standing at the gate because they know that they will contaminate this Jewish home if they enter it. And so they're showing respect and they're saying, is there a man? Hello, we're, we're Gentiles. They, everyone would have known that. They looked like Gentiles. Uh, God has sent us to find a man named Peter. Is he here? Peter comes down and he sees them and he speaks to them and they tell him the story about how God a day ago or more, said they needed to find him. And this is, I mean, not only has he had a vision, but now God has put Gentiles at the gate. And so Peter takes this first courageous step, and he opens the gate so they can come inside. And not just in to sit at the, in the courtyard, but he invites them into the home, and by now the meal is ready, and they share it. Huge. And then that night, he invites them to sleep in that house those Gentiles. And the next day, he goes with them to Cornelius' home. Peter, a Jewish man, goes into a Gentile home. And he talks to them about Jesus, and he listens to their faith, and this is the key. He sees the Holy Spirit is at work in each of them. And that's his third confirmation. He says, God will live within these people, so they... Clearly, the Holy, if the Holy Spirit is in each of these as the Holy Spirit is in the Jewish believers, then I heard that vision right. And it's time for us to change. All food is clean food. That's huge, isn't it? Throughout the generations, the church has grappled with this. Okay, there, there's been changes. We, we kind of take these for granted, but did y'all know when I read church history, there were times when organ music was thought to be of the devil was that newfangled organ that was of the devil, right? There were times like the Wesleys in our church history where they were remaking some of the hymns that we think are, you know, the foundation. Those are the old faithful hymns. Those were old bar tunes. You better believe there were Anglican priests who were, that is just wrong to put God's word to a bar tune, right? And here we are at Bee Creek. We're a young church, and we're used to being on the cutting edge, right? We are young, and so we're the ones that all the other churches are saying, can you have worship in a bar? We're like, yeah, you can. It's great. It's reaching new people, right? Can you do Ash Wednesday on Highway 71? 
Yeah, you can. You know, can you be outside on Palm Sunday? Yes, because that's where God's trying to reach people. And so we are used to here being on the cutting edge. We're the ones that are leading the change. I feel like the message I need to speak to all of us, myself included, is that someday we won't be anymore. Someday we'll, we'll, be, we'll have our old familiar ways and they're going to be the ways that we've always worshipped and, and the place we've always sat and it's going to feel really good and God is going to ask us to change. And I try to imagine what that will be and I, the thing I came up with is someday there's going to be some young person that comes up to me and says, you know, this new generation is really connecting heart and soul with the kazoo. And so let's just put away, Gustavo can get off the piano, and Jim put down the guitar, and let's learn the kazoo, because it is just really moving this generation. And, I'll, and Steve, you too, right? Forget the fiddle and the flute, forget it. You need to learn the kazoo. And we'll just lead kazoo worship. And every single one of us would say, that is ridiculous. That, that does not feed me at all. That, I don't want that at all. And on that day, I hope that God lowers a sheet filled with kazoos to us, right? While we are praying about something else, about how hungry we are about whatever, God says, here are some kazoos and you need to learn how to play it. Because there are people out in this world that need to worship with a kazoo. And I know it won't feel good. And God willing, it won't be a kazoo, but it'll be something. And we'll have that same thing that that Peter had is, it's not just that God, and think about this, it's not just that God was asking Peter to to be okay with that other person and their choices, right? God wasn't even asking Peter to sit at the same table with someone who was eating bacon. God was saying, Peter, you need to eat the bacon for the sake of the world that eats this way because it's okay now. And I remember when I started, um, when I first started as a pastor, I was so, so young, and I was at a first church, San Angelo. Maybe some of y'all had been there. It's a big church. Um, I had two robes, all these stoles, and we would start, all the pastors, there were three of us, we would start at the back of the church during the opening hymn. All the congregation would stand, and we would lead the choir in, right, in robes and stoles and carrying our Bibles and that we would go up, and it was so traditional that the choir didn't face the congregation. They faced each other, okay? Um, And that was the church I led with liturgy and everything. And then I would take off my robe, take off my stole, pull on some jeans, you know, change clothes, and go over to the fellowship hall. And we'd be wheeling out a coffee bar with pumpers where you could put flavors in your coffee, and there were tables and chairs and couches. And we'd open the side door and welcome people who had never been in a church to a church. And all the people at first, St. Angelo, who were in a Sunday school class, they complained because that music is too loud, right? And then some of the other ones will say, well, I guess I can get over that, but when will they start coming to real church? You know, robes and... And I kept trying to say, well, this is real. It's just a new way of doing it. It's just a change, a new perspective. And I remember... There was this one lady from the traditional church who would follow me. She stayed in her normal clothing, right? Hose and heels and everything. And she would come over and she would welcome people. And she'd give them their study guide for the day. And she wore earplugs. 
They were bright orange earplugs sticking out of her ears. I was like, I need to talk to Francie and see, you know, where her heart is in all of this, right? And so um, I remember before worship one day, I had extra time, and it was only a couple weeks in, and I went up to her and I said, Francie, tell me about, you know, you volunteering to be an usher here. She started out, she said, well, Pastor Laura, let me just tell you, this music is too loud, and um, I don't like it anyway. I, I, I've never heard such a racket, and I think that it's terrible that these people are sitting at couches and tables. It's just, it just doesn't feel right to me. I was like, oh, no, I need to get rid of Francie. <laughs> and then she said, but. And she pointed. She said, look at all these young families. Look at all these kids, Pastor Laura. She said, I've never seen them in my worship service. And she said, I saw them that, that first time this church met. And I wanted to help God do a new thing like this. Even if I don't like it. I can promise you that bacon never tasted great to the Apostle Peter. But I can promise you that he ate it. He ate it because God asked him to. He ate it so he could sit at a table with a brand new group of people and tell them about Jesus. He ate it so he could help God do a new thing. May God find our hearts equally willing. Let's pray. God, we know that you do call us the people who got here first to change for the sake of those who aren't here yet. And we don't know what that change will be or when it will happen, but Lord, we pray, first of all, that when you call, we would clearly hear it. That your voice would be clear. That like you did for Peter, you would confirm that in our lives with, with things that seem like they could be a coincidence, but we know that they're not. And Lord, let us look for your Holy Spirit in unexpected places and unexpected people. Guide us, Lord, and help us to do whatever we can to help you with all of the new and wonderful things that you are doing in this community today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.